Well, we have a special uh, treat today. We are closing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Today is self-control, and um, our neighborhood-friendly journalist, uh, Becca McNeil, who has spoken uh, for us many times, is um, gonna speak to us about self-control. She's got some great and interesting thoughts on it. And so I wanna encourage you to get a piece of paper, get some um, a way to take out notes. She has some really great stuff. Uh, love Becca and Lewis and uh, Asa and Moira, their family. Such a great blessing to our church. And it's a joy to be able to, to let you hear from Becca. She's great. Get ready. I have to admit that when Drew asked me which of the fruit of the Spirit I'd like to talk to you about, I surprised myself by picking this one. Self-control, for me and for many of us, has some baggage. When some of us hear the phrase, we read imagine repression. Maybe we were not given permission to show frustration or anger as children. Maybe we were immersed in purity culture that was constantly monitoring our sexuality, telling girls we were responsible for helping boys exercise self-control by not tempting them, shaming and scaring us away from sex. Others grew up with none of this. For some, self-control seems like an impossible task because it was not until adulthood that anyone said, you're going to have to restrain yourself. Think of lawnmower parents sparing their children from consequences, fraternities and sororities, celebrating an all-out Bacchanalia style. We think of powerful people exposed in the Me Too movement who never had felt the need to tell themselves no. And then there are those who come from both of those backgrounds, either of those backgrounds, and struggle with addiction, disordered eating, mental illness, all of which rob us of the dignity of control over what we eat, consume, think about, and do. All of these realities make self-control fraught territory for me. It sounds like telling people to try harder or straighten up and fly right or just say no. But there it is on the list of the fruit of the spirit, right next to love, joy, peace, things that everybody wants, things that are good for us as individuals and good for us as the collective people of God. Self-control is on that list, which means there's freedom somewhere in it. The Bible tells us that for freedom, Christ has set us free, not for drudgery or pointless piety. Every fruit of the spirit makes our lives richer, more powerful not money rich or coercion powerful, but satisfying and effective. And you know that if you've ever lived without self-control, either because you, like Paul says in Romans, continually do what you do not wish to do, or because you've been under the control of someone else, never allowed to make choices for yourself. Control over oneself is in many ways the very definition of freedom. So what does spirit-given, life-giving self-control look like? What does it feel like? Self-control is on some other lists too, like this path to spiritual maturity found in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. It's interesting there that self-control, virtue, knowledge, steadfastness 
are sandwiched between faith and godliness. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness without being rooted in faith don't produce godliness. Those are tools used by ambitious, driven people in every sector. Tech entrepreneurs who follow ascetic diets, warriors who train relentlessly, even young politicians trying to stay squeaky clean for as long as they can so that no one can get dirt on them. We've been watching a lot of Hamilton, the musical Hamilton at our house lately. Uh, One, because it's catchy, and two, because in the time of coronavirus schooling, this counts as educational. In that musical, Alexander Hamilton's character arc hinges on his struggle with self-control. Hamilton comes into the story as a hot-headed, ambitious nobody, and through compulsive hard work, think of the song nonstop, and opportunism, think of the song, I'm not throwing away my shot, finds himself in the company of the founding fathers, shaping the young United States. Ultimately, though, the story is a tragedy. Every setback he faces is the result of a lost temper, refusal to compromise, and unchecked desire. Finally, this lands him in a duel with Vice President Aaron Burr, where he, as the original Got Milk commercial told us, um, dies, losing the chance to go on and secure his legacy. The musical is all about contrast, and we continually see contrast between the hot-headed, striving Hamilton and the famously temperate George Washington, whom history remembers as one of this country's greatest heroes. The Bible acknowledges this practical, familiar side of self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 16, 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Like we see in Hamilton, self-control leads to greater power and efficacy regardless of your goals. It's a human life skill for believers and non-believers alike. So when we talk about self-control as a fruit of the spirit, we're actually talking about a two-sided coin. Self-control that was born of God's design and self-control that is born of his spirit. Self-control is the only fruit that's uniquely human. Christopher J.H. Wright points this out in his book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that we see reflected in the character of God, like patience, kindness, and the other fruits, because God doesn't need to keep his impulses in check. None of his impulses are sinful. As a unique fruit of human-spirit interaction, our humanness plays a large role, which means your body plays a large role. It's the part of yourself that you're controlling. As you grow up, your brain is developing what science calls executive function, the ability to consider other perspectives, to maintain focus, to regulate emotions. Executive function in familiar terms is self-control. It's supposed to grow with time. There's a famous psychological test, the esoterically named marshmallow test, in which scientists left small children one at a time in the room with a marshmallow. My children would have loved this, to be part of this uh, study. They could eat the marshmallow, the scientist said, but if they waited and didn't eat it, when the scientists came back, they could have two marshmallows. The idea of the experiment was to measure the ability of children to delay gratification in order to achieve better results to use self-control. 
Stanford researchers then checked in with the kids from the experiment and found that kids who could delay gratification ended up having higher SAT scores, higher degree attainment, lower BMI, and other desirable life outcomes. That's self-control that comes from the way God designed our brains. So the kind of self-control that is a fruit of the Spirit is not just about being able to keep it in your pants or put the fork down or shut your mouth when it's secret-keeping time. In the musical Hamilton, it's not just Alexander Hamilton's impulses that plague him. He's also tripped up by his deepest desires and ambitions. He doesn't just lose control in the situation. He's controlled by a desire to see his own name in lights, his own ambition, his own legacy. The musical's other great contrast is between Hamilton and his wife, Eliza, who emerges in the last song of the show as the heroine who lives on and does all the work that Hamilton would have gone on to do had he not gotten himself killed. The tension between the couple the entire time is Hamilton's unwillingness to be satisfied, another song title. You see throughout the musical that Hamilton's lack of satisfaction hampers his effectiveness and left much of his legacy in the hands of people who had more self-control and less ego. Self-control is about what you are aiming at as much as, it, as much as it is about not throwing away your shot. It's about the end, not just the means. It's about wanting good things, not just being good. At its core, the kind of self-control that is given by the Spirit is about loving God's kingdom more than you love your own. And loving that kingdom with such intensity that even your most selfish ambitions can't win out. It's about mastery over impulses and urges, yes, but it's about doing so out of a love for God. This list that ends with self-control starts with love. And I think that addresses some of that baggage most of us have when it comes to self-control. Being controlled by fear or shame is not the same as spirit-given self-control. I think we see this in the aftermath of the purity culture. Women and men who have trouble having healthy intimacy because they've been using fear and shame to keep themselves from having premarital sex. It's hard to make that fear and shame go away once they're married. Fear and shame prioritize our behavior over our hearts. And God, we know from scripture, cares about our hearts. He forgives the sins of his people again and again because they have contrite hearts. But how does he feel about the shame-driven good behavior of the Pharisees? Matthew 23, 25 tells us that he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Parents, we have a hard time with this. If I'm honest, there are a lot of days I want my kid to be more like the Pharisees because the Pharisees are well-behaved at restaurants. We parents are tempted to shortchange the development of self-control for the instant appearance of self-control that comes from fear and shame. We make good behavior the measure of a child's godliness when really it's just as possible that it's a measure of how afraid they are at being punished or rejected. Maybe you aren't a parent, but that's how you were parented. Here's the fact that most of us know though. Parents are only the scariest thing in a kid's life for at most 18 years. And if fear and shame are what motivate you, your parents can easily be replaced by peers and abusers. 
The time we have with our children is better spent cultivating a deep love for God and appropriate brain development, boundary setting, accepting responsibility. Because acting on our love for God, at least when it comes to self-control, does have something to do with our brains. Self-control is rooted in a love for God that works with our humanness, not in place of it. Imagine an athlete who one day wants to be able to perform a complicated quadruple backflip from a high dive. To do it will require incredible control of her body and all kinds of discipline. Let's also say that she's already an elite runner, so she gets that. She already knows discipline, she loves running, and she's passionately interested now in learning how to dive. Can she, the elite athlete, walk to the edge of the high dive on her first try and execute the quadruple backflip? Why not? Because it takes practice. It takes development and flexibility. If she goes out and just tries it from the 10 meter platform on her first dive, what's likely to happen? She'll be injured. Expecting children to exercise executive function beyond their years is like sending the diver off the 10 meter board to try a dive she's never practiced. If the diver aspiring diver, starts training, pulls her hamstring, and then goes on to ignore it, continuing to practice, what's going to happen? She risks ending not only her diving, but her ability to run as well. When our brains are injured or ill in some way, and we continue to demand that they do what our will tells them to do, we will only deepen the illness and injury. It's dangerous to see poverty, illness, and addiction as strictly spiritual issues. That if those people just had Jesus, then they would have access to the self-control that they need to be rich and well. In addition to the numerous systemic and social reasons, this is not true. For many people, the fix isn't in the pulpit, it's in the clinic. The athlete is still the same disciplined, passionate athlete, but she's also a physical being. We can desire to exercise self-control all we want, but we have to address the physical components of it at the same time. God designed our brains. He uses our brains. Expressing God's love, acting on our deepest loves, all of that will be shaped in part by our brains. So if addiction or disability or injury or trauma or illness are standing between our love for God and the freedom that it should bring, we need help. We need counselors and therapists and doctors and scientists who will not replace the spirit, but help us experience the freedom it offers. Self-control, again, is uniquely human. It is complicated not just by our sinfulness, but by our physical structures. And it would be foolish to insist that we ignore that part. Addressing our brain is part of self-control because we want nothing to stand between us and our greatest love, the kingdom of God on earth, as it is in heaven. So ask yourself this week, what impulses and desires are driving me? Are they what I want them to be? What's getting in the way of the freedom God's spirit wants to give me and who can help me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be in our spirits, with our spirits, that your spirit would be in us, working through us, and Father, we ask that in places where our minds and bodies are broken and in need of healing, that you would guide us 
to the place where we can find healing. Give us wisdom, surround us with people who love us enough to tell us it's time to get help and can help us um, access that. But mostly, Father, let the desire for self-control and the ability to exercise it come from a deep, deep love for you and a passionate desire to put your kingdom above all else so that when temptation comes, it's not just through gritted teeth and white knuckles, but it's through out of a deep, deep love for you that we choose life. Amen.